Hi everyone and welcome to the This Week in British History podcast. Before we get started, this is an audio version of the YouTube series This Week in British History, which is available on the British History Tours uh, uh, channel. So just to let you know that if you want to watch so that you also get the visuals, there is a link in the show notes on this podcast, which will give you the link to YouTube. But I've also recorded this, so in a way that I hope you can enjoy it fully also as a podcast. All right, let's get started. Hello and welcome to This Week in British History. My name is Philippa Lacey Brule from British History Tours and if you love British history then you are definitely in the right place. Each week I take you through events which happened in this week in British history. However, this week I have something a little bit special for you. It is in this week in British history, the 24th of March 1603, that Elizabeth I died. Now, Elizabeth I is the first historical figure that I was interested in. She is the whole reason why I got into history. She is the whole reason I got into travelling the UK's history and therefore then becoming a tour guide and tour operator in order to do that for other people. So she is absolutely key in my story and I am dedicating this episode to her and three particular elements of her story. Over the past few years I have been around the country and I do a lot of filming and these three locations that I'm going to take you to today are ones which cover three particular elements of her story. I'm going to take you to Hatfield House where Elizabeth spent some of her childhood, where she was kept under house arrest and Key, where she found out she was Queen of England on the death of her half-sister Mary I. I'm also going to take you to the Tower of London where she spent time as prisoner also and Kenilworth Castle, in my opinion, the bricks and mortar of the love story between Elizabeth and Robert Dudley. So before we get started, please can I ask you to subscribe to the channel and hit the bell for notifications so that you know when new videos are uploaded. Um, please give it a thumbs up if you like it, share it with your friends. If you comment below, I will certainly endeavour to comment, but well, I always do reply to my comments. I'm really appreciative of the time you take to watch these videos and to write comments. Um, but I'm sure you want to now hear more about Elizabeth's story from the three locations that I've chosen for you today. So let's get started. Welcome everybody to the Tower of London and I've come here today to talk to you about Elizabeth I as prisoner in the Tower of London. Now the Tower really is, is represents some of the darkest periods in Elizabeth's life. At the age of two, her mother Anne Boleyn was brought here under trumped up charges of incest and adultery against the King Henry VIII. She was tried in the Great Hall here and executed within its walls on Tower Green. In 1554, Elizabeth found herself being brought here as prisoner under the, uh, the orders of her half-sister Mary I. Now, Mary I had made a very unpopular marriage to the Catholic King of Spain, Philip II, and this had set off the Wyatt Rebellion. 
And Elizabeth found herself implicated in the White Rebellion. As a Protestant and as of royal blood, she could be seen as a figurehead for any Protestant rebellion against the Catholic Mary I. And so Mary I saw her as a threat and she had her arrested, had her brought to the tower, and she was kept in the bell tower for eight weeks. Um, and she was interrogated to try and find some kind of incrimination of her in the White Rebellion. Now, either she was very savvy or she just didn't have anything to do with that rebellion, but they found no incriminating evidence at all. But she did spend eight weeks, that's such a long time, eight weeks not knowing if she was about to be called for execution. And that memory, that, those feelings stuck with her for the rest of her life. And even as Queen, she would refer to her time at the Tower of London as a prisoner. She was brought to the Tower by boat. Um, so that there could be no rescue attempts. They feared rescue attempts if they brought her by road. So that meant she came in through Traitor's Gate um, on the river. And she made one of her famous sort of short speeches when she, uh, as she came up those slippery steps from her barge. So here Elizabeth would have come at high tide through the gate on her barge, up those steps claiming here landeth as true a subject, being prisoner as ever landed at these stairs. I come in as no traitor, but as a true woman to the Queen's Majesty, as any now living, and thereon I will take my death. The wardens apparently dropped to their knees, shouting, God preserve your grace, whether that's true or a romantic sort of story made up after the event, we don't know, but I think the respect for Elizabeth, certainly afterwards, was was great and death was a real possibility for Elizabeth here if she had been found to be implicated in the Wyatt Rebellion or have had any knowledge of it she could have found herself under the same fate as Lady Jane Grey and executed within the Tower of London Good morning everybody it's Philippa from British History Tours today I'm at Kenilworth Castle in Warwickshire and Kenilworth Castle for me is the bricks and mortar behind the greatest love story of Elizabeth I. Now we think of Elizabeth I by her uh, titles the Virgin Queen, Gloriana, but these titles were given to her sort of after, they were a bit of a summary really of her reign. There was no inevitability about her not marrying and, and like I say for me Kenilworth is the bricks and mortar behind the greatest of her love stories. As queen, she couldn't just marry anybody she, she liked. Um, England was still in, uh, in a very precarious situation. It hadn't been long since the break with Rome. You had Mary I, uh, who preceded Elizabeth, who was Catholic, who wanted to return the country to Catholicism. And then you had Elizabeth, who took over from her, who was Protestant. And every Catholic European country uh, could be a threat to England um, because they would want to bring England back under the, the Catholic umbrella and under the Pope. So Elizabeth was in a fairly precarious position and her marriage, uh, any suitors, really needed to be uh, foreign princes, somebody who an alliance could be formed with for the defence of England um, and the future of the, the kingdom uh, as an independent country. But in my mind, through all the research I've done about Elizabeth, her actual true love was a man called Robert Dudley. Kenilworth Castle was owned by Robert Dudley. And the apartments behind me, they're now called the Leicester Buildings, but these apartments were 
built especially for Elizabeth for her visits here to Kenilworth, which is why I say that Kenilworth for me is the bricks and mortar uh, behind Elizabeth's greatest love story. Elizabeth visited Kenilworth on four occasions, uh, uh, two times in the 1560s and then she came back in 1572 and 1575. And in between the first two and the second two visits, uh, Robert Dudley had built her these apartments behind her the state apartments purely for her use. He'd also, um, I don't know if it's by 1572, but certainly by 1575, created the Elizabethan gardens, which are here, which are absolutely stunning. And if you do get to come to Kenilworth, make sure you make time to go around the, the gardens. Um, so, yeah, the Elizabeth and Robert had known each other since childhood, and they... they were at least best friends, but in my mind, probably childhood sweethearts. And the clincher for me was the the evidence behind, or the evidence I think for behind her true feelings for him, is his last letter. Robert Dudley died. I I think it was in the 1580s. Elizabeth didn't die till 1603, so he died quite a few years before her. And he'd written to her a week before he died. And despite him being one of many suitors for Elizabeth, he. I, he held a special place in her heart and that last letter that he wrote, she kept. Not only did she keep it, but she labelled it just his last letter. Not Robert's last letter, not Lester's last letter, just his last letter, which I think speaks volumes about her feelings for the man. Not only did she keep the letter, not only did she just title it his last letter, but she kept it by his bed for the rest of her life. So for me, Kenilworth represents... Uh, that that bond that those two had in in bricks and mortar because these were um, the apartments that Robert built Robert Dudley built for her especially for for when she visited so like I say she visited after these had been uh, built she visited again twice 1572 and 1575 the fact that she uh, visited here on four occasions is is pretty significant I'm I'm not sure if there are other other places around the country quite so far away from London which she would have visited on quite as many occasions but it was definitely the site of her longest ever visit uh, in 1575 she spent 19 days here that's the longest she ever spent at any courtier's house at all and it was Robert's last ditch attempt to persuade Elizabeth to marry him there were many reasons why uh, she couldn't um, or wouldn't marry Robert as I've already said, he, he wasn't a foreign prince and we needed Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Council wanted her to marry a foreign prince for an alliance. He wasn't really of uh, great enough stature. He was the second son of the Earl of Warwick. His father had been executed. His uh, elder brother was the Earl of Warwick. Um, although uh, Robert became the Earl of Leicester under Elizabeth, that wasn't a title he was born to. And the third reason... Uh, is that he had been uh, implicated in the strange death of his second wife, Amy, who had been ill. She had been quite ill, but uh, the story goes that she had sent her entire household out to a, uh, a country fair. And when they returned, she was found at the bottom of the stairs and her neck was broken. So whether that was from a fall, whether she committed suicide or whether it had been murder, it had left Robert free to marry, but obviously in very dark circumstances. And the, the rumours spread 
and the Queen couldn't be implicated in that. And for me, that was the nail in the coffin. Although it was fairly unlikely she was ever going to be able to marry him, that was the nail in that deal. Um, it wasn't going to happen after that point. So I hope you've enjoyed that little snippet of, uh, of Kenilworth Castle and Elizabeth's uh, love story with Robert Dudley. Hello everybody, so I've come to Hatfield House to talk to you about Elizabeth becoming Queen because it was in the grounds of Hatfield House that she discovered that she was Queen on the 17th of November 1558. Now Elizabeth was an unlikely Queen really in that if you think about her childhood um, at the so she was born with you know big pomp and circumstance but there was no hiding the fact that it was a massive disappointment that her father Henry VIII had broken with Rome he'd gone through six years of real disruption for the country but he saw it as for himself um, in order to marry Anne Boleyn Elizabeth's mother and then Elizabeth was born a girl instead of well what surely should have been a boy um, she was christened princess which means heir to her father's throne um, but at the age of two with the downfall of her mother Anne Boleyn and Anne Boleyn's execution Elizabeth's status was reduced to merely the Lady Elizabeth she was stripped of her household and she uh, she she began living in the household of either her sister or here with her brother Edward VI she did actually share some of his education and some of their childhood together um, obviously that was later a bit later on after after Edward had been born um, via Henry's third wife Jane Seymour during the reigns of her half siblings Edward VI and Mary I Elizabeth had been implicated in various rebellions or scandals of the time. So under Edward VI, Elizabeth found herself prisoner, uh, kept in under house arrest um, at Hatfield for what would, was her, was she, was she not involved in the Thomas Seymour scandal? Now Thomas Seymour was Edward VI's uncle. He was the younger brother of Edward Seymour who had become protector, Lord Protector, so he was ruling a council in place of Edward while Edward was uh, a minor. Um, and uh, obviously they were both brothers of, of Edward's mother Jane Seymour. Now Thomas Seymour was just as ambitious as his brother Edward was but didn't have the position and he looked for other ways to get that and he had thought about marrying Elizabeth but that was uh, vetoed. She, he in fact married Catherine Parr, Henry VIII's last wife, so his, his widow effectively and they had uh, they had been married and Elizabeth had lived with them for a time. Now Thomas seemed to not have given up on his ideas of seducing Elizabeth and there are there are many accounts of him doing things that we would find now to be um, well they were obviously disturbing to her at the time we would probably class them as some sort of abuse sexual abuse now he would go into her room before she was awake he would smack her on the bottom there was a very strange um, incident that happened with Catherine uh, Parr Catherine was obviously really taken with Thomas Seymour in a kind of obsessive way that she saw no wrong in him because this and this incident is uh, is one that, that that demonstrates it she would she held Elizabeth while Thomas ripped her skirts or slashed her skirts which is just bizarre so um, but because of these incidents because of this uh, interaction with Thomas Seymour when uh, Thomas 
um, was basically getting too big for his boots in the court of Edward VI. Um, Elizabeth was implicated. People spread rumours they were secretly married or she was pregnant by him. And at Hatfield House, there is a letter in Elizabeth's own hand to, uh, to the court, to her brother, saying, basically, let me come to court. Let me show you I'm not pregnant by him. I have, I have nothing to do with him. Um, and that's that's uh, that's in that's that's inside inside at Hatfield House. So that was under Edward the Sixth. Then you have um, under Mary the First. She was allowed to come to Hatfield House in 1558, when uh, or sorry earlier than 1558, but when Mary the First believed she was pregnant. Mary the First believed she was pregnant. She believed she was securing the um, the her line. She believed she was um, going to keep the Catholic faith in England. So everything was was fine, and Elizabeth was allowed to come to Hatfield House, where where she'd spent a lot of her childhood. So she was very familiar with this area, and she did enjoy enjoy being here. She was in the grounds of Hatfield House when she found out she was Queen. Mary I had died in the early hours of the 17th of November 1558, probably of a tumour which had started with her believing she was pregnant but actually her pregnancy turned out to be a false pregnancy and was likely the tumour that eventually did kill her. So behind me you can see the what Elizabeth would have recognised the building that's behind me. This is the Great Hall of Hatfield House. The most, most of the house was destroyed um, uh, in the reign of, of James I and rebuilt. Um, uh, and the, the great hall uh, behind me remained as stables for the new house um, and remained so until uh, in, in the sort of state of a stables until 1915 when it was, uh, when it was uh, re, uh, renovated and, and brought back to, to its original state. Let's talk about... Elizabeth's heritage. Her parents' marriage, um, Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII's marriage, had been annulled. Her mum had been mother. Mum. Her mother had been found to be, you know, uh, well, supposedly adulterous, incestuous, and so um, Elizabeth uh, was disgraced from that side. However, her father was still Henry VIII. But when she became queen, there were many who believed she shouldn't have been queen, and so. As with all the Tudors, their lineage became top importance, proving that the Tudors were the rightful heirs, that each one of them in turn was the right one to be taking over the throne. And Elizabeth was no different. Elizabeth had this uphill battle to climb more than any of them, maybe since her granddad, um, Henry VII. And inside Hatfield, there is a, um, I suppose like a family tree, but it links her back supposedly to a huge uh, just an amazing collection of um, people either uh, real or now we know to be not real so she is supposedly uh, linked to King Arthur um, some of the Roman emperors um, Noah um, so you get biblical characters in there and right back to Adam and Eve so this this lineage is um, it's a fascinating um, piece of parchment to look at it's really interesting so if you come here again that's something you must see hi everyone so let's talk about the oak that she were that elizabeth I was supposed to have been sat underneath now i would love to be able to tell you that it's one of these big gnarly oaks that are here in the grounds of hatfield house but i'm afraid the original oak died 
and so we don't have that anymore but there is an oak in its place rather nicely I think it was uh, planted by our current Queen so Queen Elizabeth II in the same site as the original oak Thank you so much for watching this episode of This Week in British History, the Elizabeth I special. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe to the channel and give it a thumbs up, comment, do all that. I would really appreciate it. Please do share it with your friends if you think they would enjoy it too. But for now, keep well, keep safe, and I will see you all next time. Lots of love. Bye.